this is a powerful passage and continues to be. We're in Jeremiah 10. Would somebody read 11 to 13? <coughs> Thus you shall say to them, The gods that did not make the heaven and the earth will perish from the earth and from the heavens. It is he who made the earth by who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he has stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult, tumult of waters in the heavens, and he causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Okay. So you shall say to them, the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. In contrast with verses 12 and 13, where he made the earth and established the world and stretched out the heavens, etc. You've got the concept of the non-creator God versus the creator God. Now there's something very unusual about verse 11. Some of, in my margin it says, this verse is in A-R-A-M, <coughs> which is short for Aramaic. What do you know about Aramaic? It's what the Babylonians spoke? It is what the Babylonians spoke. It was actually kind of the English of their time, kind of more the universal language. It was a related language to Hebrew, kind of like Spanish and Portuguese. And, um, you know, the Jews ended up finally speaking Aramaic in Jesus' day. Do you know those passages in the New Testament where it says Jesus said, and it quotes actually some weird foreign phrase or word, and then it says, which by translation means, like, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, or however you say that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, in the original, in the New Testament, the New Testament was written in what language? Greek. Greek. So what you actually have is the Aramaic line, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And then in Greek, which by translation means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, in Greek. So sometimes they actually give you Jesus' very words in the Aramaic original. Now, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is written in what language? Hebrew. Hebrew. But there are a few sections of the Old Testament in Aramaic. Now, some very logical sections. Anybody know what three books have sections in them that are in Aramaic? Daniel. Daniel. Malachi? Yeah, good. Uh, we could start with Genesis and figure it out. This would be a good sure. trivia question. <laughs> Ezra and this verse of Jeremiah. Now, let me explain those to you. Daniel was in Babylon when he wrote. And a part of what Daniel wrote, he wrote about the Jewish people and what was going to happen to them. And he wrote those parts in Hebrew. A part of what he wrote was about the world empires. And he wrote those parts in Aramaic. So from Daniel 2.4 to the end of 7 is in Aramaic. Daniel 1.1-2.3 and 8-12 is in Hebrew. That is by far the longest Aramaic section in the Bible, in the Old Testament. In Ezra, 
In Ezra chapter 4, starting in verse 8, you have actually the very words of, of a document that was written in uh, Aramaic. In Ezra 4, 8, you have a letter that was written to King Artaxerxes, and the fact that he switches to Aramaic means he actually quotes the letter in the very language the letter was written. And he goes ahead, and from 4.8 all the way to 6.18, you've got the quotation of that, uh, you've, got, you've got Aramaic section. And then in 7.12 of Ezra, you have another letter, and from 12 to 26 is also in Aramaic. So there are two Aramaic sections of Ezra. The first one starts with a letter in Aramaic and continues. The second one is just the letter in Aramaic. And then this verse of Jeremiah. Now, isn't it odd that Jeremiah would have one verse? You know how many verses are in Jeremiah? I've not added them up, but a ton. One verse is in Aramaic. But look at the verse, and you'll see why. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Why would he write that verse in Aramaic? Not everyone spoke Hebrew. Yes, and what was this verse for? The other people. Yes, it's a ready-made answer for them to give to their pagan non-Jewish friends in the very language that they would speak. You know, so the pagan could read the judgment of God on their idolatry in their very own language, right here. You just say it this way, and he speaks in Aramaic. And, and that, that gives them the answer in the language that was kind of the universal language of that time. Does that make any sense? Kind of cool, isn't it? Uh, so, you know, there is no comparison. Gods who didn't make the heavens and the earth versus the God who did make the heaven and stretch out the, or make the earth and stretch out the heavens. It's just totally contrast. You know, um, if you want a, you know, the real God, if you're a discriminating consumer who's looking for something that's, that's real, discard those idol gods and go with the true God. You know how even a lot of products these days are imitations. In some cases, imitations are okay. In some cases, they don't hold up you know, if you want the real thing, go with the God of heaven. He's the one who's really the creator. These other gods are inferior, you know, replicas. You know, they're not the original. Comments and questions? 14 to 16. Every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his molten images are deceitful, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of mockery. In the time of their punishment, <coughs> they will perish. The portion of Jacob is not like these, for the maker of all is he, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Okay, so you have a contrast between foolishness and wisdom. You know, man doesn't know anything, and he's making these molten images that don't even breathe. 
They're worthless, a work of mockery, they perish. But the maker of all is the God of Jacob. He's the true God. So, this is just a great section to say God's the one, not the other gods and beliefs and whatever of the nations. Don't forget this chapter when you're battling the people who claim that all gods are alike and that our God is no better than the others. That is just a lie. Our God made everything, their God's made nothing. You know, our God's wise and their God's foolish. You know, our God's strong and their God's weak. Our God is uh, alive and their God's dead. Alright, comments? 17 to 25. Gather up your bundle from the ground, O you who dwell under siege. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I am slinging out the inhabitants of the land at this time, and I will bring distress on them, that they may feel it. Woe is me because of my hurt, my wound is grievous. But I say, Truly this is an, this is an affliction, and I must bear it. My tent is destroyed, and all my cords are broken. My children have gone for me, and they are not. There is no one to spread my tent again, and to set up my curtains. For the shepherds are stupid, and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore they have not prospered, and all their flock is scattered. A voice, a rumor, behold it comes. A great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah a desolation, a lair of jackals. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, and it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Pour out your wrath on the nations that know you not, and on the peoples that call not on your name. For they had devoured Jacob, they have devoured him and consumed him, and have laid waste to his habitation. So what's he telling them to do in 17? <clears throat> pack your things? Yes. And why do they need to pack their things? They're going somewhere. <laughs> they are going somewhere. On a vacation? <clears throat> Not exactly. Not exactly. Where are they going? Captivity. Because the Lord is going to sling them out of their land. Don't you love that verb, sling? You know, how does, what does that make you feel? They're getting kicked out. They're getting thrown. Yeah, exactly. You know, God's just going to pick them up and throw them out. You know, it's not very respectful to their dignity, uh, you might say. It indicates God's disgust with them. And so Jeremiah says, Woe to me because of my injury. You know, it's a terrible sickness. My tent's destroyed. My sons have gone. You know, he's depicting in the nation just the grief and anguish at the terribleness of the captivity. The shepherds have become stupid. They've not sought the Lord. Who are the shepherds? When he talks about the shepherds, he means what? the priests, the prophets, the kings, the leadership. And why are they stupid? <clears throat> why have they misled the people? They didn't seek the Lord. Exactly. They were trying to guide the flock without God. <clears throat> that didn't work. You don't have the Lord, you don't have a way to guide the flock. You can't lead people toward the Lord if you don't know Him. And so there's terrible commotion out of the land of the north that is the enemy attack. 
and the cities, Judah's urban centers disintegrate the haunt of jackals again. God wiping them out. He says, Jeremiah prays in verse 23, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. We don't know enough to direct ourselves. We need the Lord's guidance, and we need to listen to him and trust him and go where he tells us to go and do what he tells us to do, because we don't know anything if we don't do that. And then he begs the Lord, correct me, O Lord, but with justice, not with your anger. What would happen if God corrected us with his anger? Can you imagine? If God gave you what you deserve, what would happen to you? Yeah. We'd be dead, we'd be lost, we'd be hopeless, we would be wiped out. Correct me, but not your anger. Pour out your wrath, he says, on the nations who don't know you. On the families who don't call your name. The ones who hurt us. That's what he's begging God for. You know, pour out your wrath on them, not on us. You know, correct us, but please don't correct us in your anger. Please don't give us what we deserve. Is there anybody in the world who's responsible before God who deserves to be saved? If God gave people what they deserved, everybody's a God. So we all desperately need mercy. And even more, this nation has been so wicked. All right, comments or questions on chapter 10? Kimberly. Um, first of all, Jesus says, let them alone, they are blind, but they are blind, and for blind, you guys are blind, and you both are blind. Yeah. So you got the blind shepherds, the blind flock is in big trouble. Other thoughts? It says in verse 25, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you. And we think, well, we know God, we're serving God, and I believe in God. But... Uh, in First John, I believe it says, um, "Those who do not keep my commandments do not know me." And so, when we're straying from God, when we're not obeying Him, we don't know Him. So, this wrath poured out—that's coming upon us as well, because uh, we don't know Him. Yeah, to know God is not just to know there is a God or know about God; it's to have a relationship with God. Yeah. Good point. Other thoughts? All right, chapter 11, verses 1 to 8. 